Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Forever. I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means Now I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this here podcast, Three Swings, which is a podcast about baseball and other things. Hard emphasis on the other things lately um, because there's just been, you know, other things in the world. Um, Thanks for listening to the supplemental episode with Chase Strangio. We've had some wins and some losses in the time that we posted about this, so please keep checking their Instagram and Twitter for actions that you can take around the anti-trans uh, sports bills and healthcare bills. Um, it is a sad state that, that this is being fought the way that it is, but I do believe that we will win. It may take a long time, uh, but I appreciate your support there. And happy opening weekend. I, I do actually mean happy. I am excited about baseball this year, getting to play it. Vaccinations are happening, and it's complicated. I'm not going to act like any of this is straightforward and everything's fine. I guess I'm just having a little bit of positivity around baseball, and I just kind of don't want to let the bad politics, the bad takes, the disagreements, the things I don't like uh, take something that I love for me. So I'm just not going to let it happen. You know, I'm not going to let Trevor Bauer take my team away from me. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to do it. doesn't make any sense. Um, so I am enjoying opening day. I once again, uh, was working on opening day, which is always a treat. It's kind of what usually happens. Who cares? Happy to be working. And speaking of working, just want to take a moment to give a shout out to the show Good Trouble. I've been on the show as a guest uh, actor for two seasons now. And I just want to say that like uh, it it seems like more folks are getting into it, watching it, loving it. And I'm just really grateful for that. It is a tremendous show to get a chance to be a part of. It's such a wonderful opportunity. I've gotten to work with so many amazing people. Um, and just like a big moment of thank you and, uh, great job, you know, (laughs) like what a, what an experience I get to have of Sherry Cola, uh, who plays Alice on the show. Um, 
just as recently as yesterday on opening day, I got to see her perform on the show and just incredible, you know, just absolutely incredible. Like I am, I am so blessed to get to be a part of that show and that set with that crew, with the people that make it. Um, so please keep watching good trouble. It's on Freeform, which used to be ABC family. And, uh, if you don't have cable, it's on Hulu the next day. It airs on Wednesdays, I believe at 10 PM Eastern 9 PM central 10 PM Pacific standard time. And then it's on Hulu the very next day. Um, I play Lindsay Brady, who is a non-binary stand-up comic, so it's a stretch for me. Um, but I am a bit of a villain, and that's been a lot of fun to play. So it's just been really great. I've gotten to work with a lot of amazing directors, super talented actors, Kara uh, Wang also, just like just amazing folks. So please check out that show. Also, uh, so opening day is happening. I'm not super into predicting futures and all that stuff. I might get into that. Um, because I didn't pay much attention last year, I don't know who the, you know, like new class, young guys, Keon Hayes, apparently very good, already homering. Um, I'm in two fantasy baseball leagues. I'm the commissioner of one and then the other one, pretty exciting. So I will have that connection to baseball. And I promise you my thoughts on the actual men's baseball league will come into a sharper focus the more that they play. So look forward to that fantasy ideas and projections and who I'm picking up and who I'm dropping. Um, but I did just finish reading the tremendous book, Stealing Home, by friend of the show, Eric Nussbaum. If you haven't listened yet, please listen to our episode with Eric Nussbaum. He was so great to get to talk to, and he sent me a copy of the book, and I read it very slowly because it was very upsetting, <laughs> but just because of the story. Um, but I cannot recommend it to you enough. If you are a person who listens to the show, who doesn't care much about baseball, but likes to listen to me talk, this recommendation is for you. If you like baseball, this recommendation is for you. If you don't want to be disturbed, maybe don't listen to it. Don't read it. But I, I, I recommend that you read it no matter what, because I think that, um, like, like perhaps you're beginning to see history repeats itself over and over and over again until we learn the lesson as humans and make changes. And those changes take a long time. And so I, the book is tremendous in that it draws the line over the arc of time through history to how Dodger Stadium was built, where it was built, who was affected. Uh, and it's a lot of people, not just the people that live there. So I bring up the book Stealing Home, the story of the people who were displaced from Chavez Ravine to have the, the, the monument of Dodger Stadium erected on their former homes uh, because we have a special guest on the podcast this week, and this is where the other things comes into play. I was asked by a friend of the show uh, to have a, a former displaced resident of Echo Park Lake on my show. I said, yes, please, let's do that. And then had a wonderful illuminating, beautiful, compassionate conversation with uh, Iman, who's going to follow this uh, intro. Uh, we sat down and had a conversation. He shared his experience of living in, in the community at Echo Park Lake and then being displaced violently by a militaristic opposing police force and the councilman of that ward, uh, whose office is right around the corner, uh, Mitch O'Farrell, 
uh, who is up for re-election next year. Just to just to shout that out, and uh, Albert Corrado, um, the brother of uh, Melly Corrado, who was uh, murdered by police in Trader the Trader Joe's in Silver Lake in this council uh, district. Uh, a little over three years ago, uh, he is running against Mitch O'Farrell. Um, he works a lot in mutual aid with Black Lives Matter. He's very vocal, and uh, I think you should consider supporting his run, uh, given everything that we've seen from Mitch O'Farrell over the past years, um, and specifically with the last month. However, I don't want to get super like political and would love to keep this just in the experience of our guest that's coming up, um, so please stick around, listen, and open yourself to this wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful uh, for everybody that got this going and helped us set it up. Um, so thank you to everyone involved who was able to get that going. And thank you to Iman, who is about to let you know their story, their experience, what's going on, and what you can do to uh, change the world around you right after this. Uh, everybody, we're so excited to have, uh, our guest on the podcast today. Uh, they are a displaced resident of Echo Park Lake. Uh, please welcome to Three Swings, Iman. Iman, thank you so much for, uh, being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so good to meet you. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to be on here. Um, and yes, thank you so much. I just... I'm I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad this worked out, all the scheduling and everything. It's great to meet you. Um, and I really just wanted to find out from you and to hear your story and share it with the listeners. Um, how did you find Echo Park Lake, that community? How did you how did you get there? How did you find it? Like what led you to that space? Um Basically, I was unhoused for about a year before getting mm -hmm. to Echo Park. And mm -hmm. for most of that, it was just me. I had my stuff in the gym locker at the 24-hour fitness. And mm -hmm. I would just sleep outside every night and find like a concrete spot, like a parking spot, um, which was nice enough. It's, you know, it's a nice sleep, actually, to sleep on concrete. It's not as bad as people think. And yeah. then towards the end of that year, um, I had met a friend, Devon, and he was out there sleeping uh, at the the spot I had found near the gym, right outside of a preschool, is like a really nice, clean parking spot kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, just the Santa Monica police freaked us out one night, and we had remembered that Echo Park Lake, which was right next to a club that every Wednesday did uh, like R Rasta type music. Oh yeah, yeah, right. like, yeah. So it was like a club for that, and we remember it was all these tents there. So we went there when we didn't have nowhere to go, and we pitched a tent. And then our first night, Officer Solario told us we couldn't be there. So I remember it was like 11 o'clock at night. It was me, my two friends, Allison and Devon. And we mm -hmm. had all of our stuff. We just didn't know where to go. I mean, we just wanted to sleep. It was like 1130 at night. And we were just told we couldn't sleep here after being told a couple hours earlier we couldn't sleep there. So basically, right. we kicked outside of outside, one outside <laughs> to another outside to another outside. And there's nowhere they'll just let us sleep. And uh one of the guys, Bobby, old man, Bobby, uh, we turned around and we saw that everyone wasn't reacting to the police. We we're like, mm. wait, we're the only ones that are reacting to the officer telling us to leave. 
And basically, Bobby was like, fuck the police. You can stay here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, ever since there, we were at Echo Park. That's amazing. I, you know, uh, my experience of that space is one, recently at least, of of a community, you know? Um, and that is what is was very evident to me. And then also um, during the recent, the, the violent displacement, it was very clear, you know? And so from your story, it sounds like that's what you were able to find. I also just think, um, that's a really powerful statement that you made, Iman, that you're being kicked out, out of the outside, you know, like, um, I, I feel like often people don't, uh, really can, it's hard to really understand that, you know, if you're not in that moment of like, where else am I supposed to go? This is literally a public space, you know? Like people don't Which, get it. Yeah. You know, like when you kick out a homeless person and in your mind you think, oh, we just did a good thing. We clean up the right. area. In reality, that person's still outside. It's mm-hmm. just they're no longer there. But now they're mm-hmm. wandering around trying to find another location that's like not too many bugs. That's good enough to sleep. That mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like all these different things yeah. we have to think about. Like the bug issue is huge when you don't have a tent. Like if you sleep on grass, you're going to get ate up. I had to learn that the mm-hmm. hard way. Uh, certain concrete sure. spots, you really got to look to make sure an ant colony isn't there because if an ant colony is within three parking spots, they're going to dominate you before the night's over. So like these are things y'all don't really got to think about. But when someone's moving around, tired, trying mm-hmm. to find a spot, this is what they're thinking about, you know, and it's just like yeah. you're just kicking them out of outside. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially like, this is, this is it. (laughs) This is the last spot. There's no, there's no other spot to go to, you know? Um, and so I'll ask this with the, I I feel as though I might have an idea of what the answer is. So, but it's, it's more for people listening at that moment at 1130 at night when you're at Echo Park Lake Uh or, or you're at the Santa Monica spot where the cops are kicking you out and telling you to find another public space to be, um, why wouldn't you go to like a shelter or some space like that at that point? Well, shelters are Mm -hmm. really disgusting sort of like zoos for people to keep them away from the public eye. They're not, they're not an adequate alternative to the freedom of outside. Like Mm -hmm. I get to have you know, I get to stand up with my shoulder straight outside, making my own decisions. Like y'all make your own decisions, but shelters instantly baby you. They instantly treat you uh, like you're unintelligent. And that's mm-hmm. just, that's like the icing of the cake. Uh, they have these curfews. You're stuck next to other people. You don't know, like, why are you, sh- why are you being treated like a lamb or like a sheep? You know what I mean? When yeah. you go to these shelters, mm-hmm. many of us can find life outside and make it work. So like, you know, a lot of my friends, personally, I've never gone that route to a shelter. I've always known, like I'm a nature guy. So the moment I became homeless, I was like, let me make my way to some trees and make my way to some nature and take it from there. But I've yeah. had friends that have gone the shelter route and they've just described situations that I knew that I wouldn't even be a part of for half a day, you know? Right. I mean, that 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 has been the experience that I've uh, heard in shelters that it's, it's really not... Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound like a, a humane solution. Uh, it really is just like a, a, a barn for people. And then it is. Tr- once again, treating people eye. like they're second class citizens. They can't uh-huh. you, you can't be in a public space, which the definition to me of public is a place for you and I to both be, <laughs> you know, we, that's the public, you know, um, and then you're being kicked out of that public place and then forced into a situation where 
your freedom is taken away, which does not sound, you know, again, humane to me in any way. It's like people view homelessness and they treat homeless people like $10 a month. Uh, like, like in those commercials where if you just send nine ninety nine right. a month, you'll save this person. Like, yeah. that's not what we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we are just like you guys with the ET sign. We are just as smart <laughs> as y'all. Many of us went to school. Like, you yeah. don't need to treat us like that. The government programs, that's how, that's their whole narrative. That's how their whole mm-hmm. program is formed. How do we help these pitiful people? And they come up with pitiful solutions. Rather than realizing that we have self-agency and, you know, can make a life for ourselves. Absolutely. And uh, many people that are unhoused are working, are doing all the same things. Like my Uh, neighbor Devin, he has uh, his own business where he makes like a buck 50 a day if he really, you know, puts the grind in where he's cleaning these shops windows. So he's like a window cleaner, but it's his own business. He's got his card for it and everything. And I remember that like the day before the police showed up Wednesday, he stayed as long as he could. uh, And we would have won that fight had everyone not fled in terms of my neighbors. But a lot of the unhoused are traumatized from the police. So it's like there's only so much warrior spirit you could put in them until they see those boys in blue and their trauma comes back to light and they run. So Devin stayed as long as he could. And then he left, but like he has a business that he has to work every day Mm -hmm. and he can't go to a shelter or room for keys because their curfews, right? The their um their rules, they get in the way of his business. So in, in order for him to grow his thing, he needs the freedom that any person has, that any natural normal citizen of America has, the freedom to choose what to do with their own days. But when you're a right. second class citizen and you join these programs that treat you like second class citizen, you don't have the freedom to do what you will with your own day. You're under their itinerary and their guidelines and they're just keeping you in a barn so you're away from public eye. They're not actually trying to liberate you, help you, teach you how to fish, give you the strength, you know, (laughs) the strength of perspective, the confidence Mm -hmm. of who you are. They're they're not trying to do any of that. They're just trying Mm -hmm. to keep you away from public eye. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's the full definition of sweep, you know, to just sweep it away, sweep it under the rug so that, you know, the, the supposed, taxpayer class which to me doesn't exist everybody pays taxes if you buy anything you're Uh paying taxes like it's not it's a higher hierarchy that doesn't actually exist um and and so i'm wondering too because you're so eloquently talking about um what you're finding what you found at echo park lake and i think for me that's like an incredibly powerful thing to share that I would love for people to find out from, from you who actually live there, who's a part of the community. Um, like what, what was it like living there? You know, like what was your experience living in this community that you've, that you found and made and created? I remember last year commenting that before the police came and attacked us, it was like we were in a garden of Eden and there was only so much longer this would last. Like even last year, you know, you could feel that this level of goodness is only going to last so long before something comes and tears it down. So like community, first and foremost, it's not any structures you build, nor is it a location. It's the Mm -hmm. heart and mind. People got to be on the same page for it to be a community. And, you know, God just blessed that land that in the beginning, everybody that was coming understood at a basic foundational level, what love was right. Not arbitrarily like a word, like we understood like, Hey guys, We have nothing in this world, so let's be nice to each other and help each other out. And yeah, there were fights here and there, but you know, love is colorful. It's not a mowed lawn and a high bob across the street. It's colorful when you're dealing with different personalities, but we all had the internal understanding that we want to make it work because 
you know, why do we have to live under Hollywood's narrative of the streets, right? If you talk to somebody who's never lived outside, they describe it like it's a war zone. Mm-hmm. Outside is very peaceful. Creation itself is very peaceful. It's just <laughs> people with their different narratives add chaos. So we were all out there in the beginning, understanding that we're, you know, we got nowhere to go. Let's just pull our resources together. Let's help each other. When people will come with donations, we all just knew to pass that amongst each other and just to make it work. When people had nothing, we all internally knew, all right, let's find them a tent. You know, we were just a community helping each other. Um, And that's what community is. That's what makes it strong. And then last year we became under attack from the police. So we fought for like two months. It windled down to like 10 of us. Uh, Mm -hmm. just fighting for our right to exist in that like central location. And when we won that big battle where people sat on tractors, uh, when we won that big battle where people sat on tractors and it was like a four to five hour battle with the police, uh, we gained a few weeks of peace and then COVID hit. And then, yeah. yeah, And then when COVID hit, I understand it was a global pandemic, but for us, it was a blessing because it meant we got to be left alone. Right. Yes. Uh, We got to live like y'all where you don't have to worry about your government as long as you're not breaking laws. We didn't have to worry about our government. We didn't have to worry about Mitch. We didn't have to worry about the LAPD. There was no Lasha. There was no urban alchemy. We were completely ghosted, which was fine. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. <laughs> it actually Yeah, which sounds like it was a blessing. Like that yeah, you were it was finally a the, it's actually what the we haunting prefer. the haunting left, you know, to yeah. speak to the ghosting. It's like these ghosts finally got out of there because they, they had left. other shit you know, to, to They take got care, to do what they really want to do. You know, Mitch got right. to do what he really wished he could do, which was ignore us. You know, yeah. the only reason wow. he said that army was because COVID was ending and his donors were telling him to. But in his heart of hearts wow. during COVID, he got to ignore us and they got to do little petty shit like turn off the lights, but only on the homeless side. Or, you know, when Mayor Garcetti cut funding for the showers and we started to build our own showers, they went ahead and cut water off, but only on the homeless side. But even right. with that level of pettiness, as long as we were left alone and able to build and grow, uh, we were OK with that. And all of those structures, like the showers or the garden or the kitchen, those are a, those are not intelligent ideas. Like it's not rocket science. Like people Mm -hmm. need showers when they can't shower. People deserve to cook hot food. You know, hot food's nice Mm -hmm. and just eaten raw. And uh, a garden is nice because gardens are beautiful and they bring people together. And all three of those structures were built by the hands of the unhoused and the house together. Mm -hmm. So it was truly community support and mutual aid And, you know, that's kind of all we needed. And what really made the community work 
right, quote unquote, uh, Mm -hmm. was that we were constantly reminding ourselves of community, right? We were constantly saying we're a community. We're constantly saying to each other, it's about love. We were constantly helping each other. So the structures, as cool as they were, what made it work was the narrative and perspective that we constantly fed to each other, which is that Mm -hmm. we're a community. We love each other. Let's help each other out. Like these were always conversations we had with each other throughout the day. Yeah, I mean, that's really a beautiful and powerful uh, experience that you just shared, you know, like it, the truly human experience of communication and connection that I feel like people don't tend to believe is possible. You know, like we've been we've been fed this idea that it has to be some certain way and everything needs to be this way and that way. And you have to pay all these things and like um what what I'm experiencing from your story, I'm on, is that it's all possible. It's all it's all possible to live uh, freely and live humanely and live with dignity and respect um, with each other if we believe in a common cause of um, I don't want to say survival, but existence. You know, existence with freedom and dignity and love and kindness and compassion. You mm-hmm. know, uh, which is what's definitely missing from the government. Not that I expect love and compassion from the government. However, I'm just pointing out that it is, it is missing, you know? Um, and I'm also curious if you could share, um, the, your experience of mutual aid, um, because I know there's in, in Los Angeles. So Mitch O'Farrell is the, the city councilman for the district that echo, the echo park Lake community, uh, was in his office is also right around the corner from it. Um, and so that's the Mitch that you're referring to for anybody Uh that doesn't know. Um, and he has many, uh, sort of like unhoused outreach, uh, sort of, uh, groups that he works with, but they seem to me to be very like sort of corporate and very, um, similar to police where it's, it's more the, the, the story that you were speaking to at the beginning of like sweeping you out, moving you, getting you off of here, getting you somewhere else that we don't have to look at it. We being the public, the housed, whatever. Um, and so I'm just curious, your experience of mutual aid with, uh, the house that you spoke of, like who that was, what that was like, um, and how that relationship sort of formed, um, and how that was different than some, somebody like Mitch O'Farrell's sort of, you know, outsourced no. so people that he was using. So aid and community support, some of it uh, have like an organizational name, but it wasn't the organization, more so the people connections right. that were made. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll go more into it after this, but like Mitch's sure. teams were not there during COVID. Like he's right. out there pitching these lies. We were ghosted. Nobody from the city helped us. No Lasha, no Urban Alchemy. And those aren't really organizations. Those are more the sales arm of the city. So they're there to really sell these shelters, not because these shelters are solutions, but because the city wants these people gone from this area. So sell Mm -hmm. it to them, get them gone. And they don't care about what happens afterwards. So they're the sales arm. Uh, So like in terms of who was helping us in terms of mutual aid and community support, uh, Let's take Ashley, for example. So first, Ashley was with Lasha, but then mm-hmm. she got fired when she was helping us off a conspiracy with Mitch. So like Mitch had her fired from Lasha because he felt she was raising a spirit of anarchy in the camp. 
So <laughs> even though she was with Lasha and ground game, it was more like Ashley was helping us. Same thing with right. Jed and street watch. Like now street watch was really helping us, but it was more like the connection we made with Jed uh, in terms of our water. For example, it was Amanda, right? When I say mm-hmm. mutual aid and community support, it's people that I'm talking yes. about, not organizations so much. Right. So uh, when we had nowhere to get our water, Right. It got so petty. So when when Mayor Garcetti cut funding for the showers and we built our first shower, it was just a wooden box with like a trash bag around it. And we would dump water on ourselves. Mm. And in Mm. order to fill up the five gallon jugs, we first used the water fountain. They cut it off on us. Then then we made friends with the workers in the park. Right. They were like the Spanish workers and they were chill. So they would like let us use the, uh, the hose to refill the water until management found out. And then I remember and you could look on our Instagram, Echo Park Rise Up, to catch the story in the timelines. But it was a Sunday and the hottest recorded Sunday in L.A. in like the past 10 years. And they wouldn't let us fill up our water. Mm-hmm. And we go up there. It was like me and Diana. Diana's in her 60s. And we got these two shopping carts of water filling up for the whole camp, like 100 people at that point. And we're like, why can't we fill up the water? And the security guard there said it's not allowed and that uh, they should have never let us do it in the first place because then we become entitled. So like the city <laughs> wasn't helping us with the thing, not even water. I remember looking at the dude. I'm like, bro, I know you got a mom. I know you got a grandma. Shit, you got a girlfriend. Like, what is it y'all need water for? That's the same reasons we need water. We're just trying to wash mm-hmm. our dishes and take a shower by dumping. So nobody would help. But then Amanda was our next door neighbor. She's with Streetwatch. But more than that, she's a great human soul. And she just let us use the spigot, like her water spigot, so we could use yeah. the hose. So that's really how we got our help which was by actual community members who expressed their love and compassion by taking time out their day to help us. But Mm -hmm. I find that when things become organizations, when things become corporate, like you said, there's no, there's no help involved in that because the love that it takes for you to individually love a person leaves. And now you're more of like a structure, you know what I'm saying? You're more of like, yeah, Yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I, I totally know what you're saying that like, it becomes about the organization. Yeah. It becomes about the name. It becomes about the money, you know, often. Um, and that separates people mm. from each other. And and that experience that you're talking about, I mean, especially with like the security guard, it's like, I mean, water is literally life. Everybody needs yeah. water, you know, e- everybody. Guard, like Mitch tries to blame us for any type of guns in the park, but you literally brought guns in the park. Like right. There is a gun a security, on every cop, security guard, guard to guard the yeah. bathrooms. Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't even, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. Like, it's yeah, you're bringing the guns. You are literally bringing the guns, you know? And like, there's a, a lack of trust, you know? And, and so that's also what compassion and kindness and that individual connection is what leads to trust, you know, and yeah. that, that you can trust each other that like you have each other's back. And like you said, you know, love doesn't mean like, oh, everything is fine and perfect and good all the time. It means like there's a baseline of trust and understanding yeah. that whatever happens, we will we will figure it out together, you know, and we will be here together, which when you bring a gun to that, um, <laughs> at least in my experience, I have a hard time trusting somebody you know, and having love for somebody that's yeah. carrying a gun into my house, you know, yeah. like into my home, you know, like you're invading my space with a gun. So it doesn't really uh, keep that. And and so 
I mean, I'm I don't want to I don't want to jump too far ahead, uh-huh. but I I would love for you to if you feel comfortable because I I also know that it was uh, it was and probably continues to be a traumatic experience. Um, what you and the community experienced on uh, March 24th, um, if that's something you're comfortable getting into, no, it's if fine. we can get into it. I'm not. Yeah, and because I don't I don't want to you know I I, I want to give you the space to share that experience. But I also don't want it to feel like this is the point, because to to me the point is to share your all of your experience leading up to that, you know, because I think that is just as if not more important, you know, than what happened. But I I, I would love for you to have this space to share what happened then and what has happened yeah. since, and and let people know about that. I mean, we I always knew the day would come that they would come to tear everything down. You know, mm-hmm. I knew it during all the COVID. That's what the community meetings were for to try to garner a spirit of resistance in people like because so when we were first told last year that we had to leave by that point I really did forget I was a normal citizen I really did feel like a second-class citizen so when the officer told me to leave I was just like okay and I left it wasn't until that next day where I had met Jed and it was just like a wake-up call going all right constitution all right I'm a human all right no you can't just tell me to leave arbitrarily and a lot of my unhoused neighbors it's about waking up that spirit of all right, because yes. they're just so used to bowing down to the system that they're second class in. So they're just so used to uh, walking away when they're told to leave, even though it's like, why do you have to leave? You're just living your life. Um, so building this stuff all year, we knew that day would come. It's just unfortunate that my neighbors didn't have a stronger spirit in them because it would have been tough for Mitch to do what he did to all 100 of us or all 50 of us. But down to the last 10, it's easier to like kick out the whole camp, you know? And um, so basically about two weeks or a week and a half before this all went down, we were getting word that Mitch was planning to do something to the park, like build a fence or something. But by that point, some of us like David Bush, he like in his heart, his spirit, he knew it was coming fast. But I was basically telling everybody to calm down, calm down. We have like at least two more months of COVID because that's what we thought. We thought COVID would protect like two or three more months. So let's not rush. Let's not take it seriously. Let's just focus on building positive stuff. Let's focus on getting the showers going. Let's make the Mm -hmm. kitchen better because the goal with the kitchen was to make it so nice that housed and unhoused would eat together and we can do stuff together. Like that was the goal of the whole thing. Break down false barriers. Nobody wants nothing. We don't want your pity or charity. Let's just hang out. And that was the goal of everything. And uh, so a week before it happened, we were getting word that Mitch was moving. And then probably three, four days before it happened, it was solid. We're like, yep, they're coming. And then it was back to, oh, shit, plan mode. And uh, we planned a protest for Wednesday morning which and, and a press conference. And it turned out real great. The press came out. We had like 300 plus people, which was way more than we had last year. So in my mind, I was thinking, oh, wow, with this turnout, Mitch is going to get scared. Like best case scenario, they'll see the turnout and they'll get scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nah, the exact opposite. They decided to double down. So Wednesday morning, we had our rally. A couple hundred people went good. Wednesday evening was the first fight. The plan first was for people to come pitch tents, right? House folk to come pitch tents to show that they support us being their neighbors. And we had over 75 house folk pledged to pitch a tent that night. But mm-hmm. as the hours kept going, the plan had to keep changing because we we're finding more information from them. Someone at some point found out they were staging. So there was two police in the basketball court right near us. And we went up round back to take photos of that. But then there was like 60 police pitched up at Dodger Stadium with three trucks. 
And we were like, oh shit, are they staging? And at first we didn't know if they were staging or not. So we were like, let's just keep having folks come out. We'll keep the plan normal. But then somebody who had a cousin on the inside was like, no, this is real. They're staging to come tonight. Mm -hmm. So then we had to make a plan real fast. And the plan was who's willing to get arrested. About 20 to 30 people said they were, myself included. And we were like, all right, this would be the core group willing to get arrested. And then around the group will form a circle of love where people will sit in peace with peace signs up. Mm -hmm. So, and then we'll get media out here because we thought it'd be a couple hours where they came, right? So then the media right. would capture the police, moving people who are being peaceful. Like just the plan was to make them look bad. We were prepared to get arrested. But then that changed because we found out they're moving in on us in 10 minutes. We were like, oh, wow. 10, at this point, it was like eight o'clock. And Jed was wrapping his mind around it. He's like, wait, what are they going to arrest us on? The park isn't even closed. You know, park technically closes right, right at 1030, quote 10. unquote. Yeah. So it was like eight something. And we're like, why are they moving on us? What's the point of moving on us? But we were scrambling, scrambling. And then in the heat of the moment, they really, the police, you can give them kudos on this. They won that night. They really had a scrambling around. Uh, we really didn't know what to do. But at the same time, we're not trained warriors. It's not our profession to fight a war. Like this right. is how opposite this country is. We're just trying to be citizens who love each other, but now we're drafting and planning and strategy for war. So like when they were moving in, we decided to choke off the Glendale road. So we put mm -hmm. half of the protesters here, half of this there. So the police, no cars can move. We decided to just make this public, choke it off, get the cameras on us. Let's fight this fight. We didn't know that that, 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 that was their strategy that while the police were handling us on Glendale, they were pitching up the fence on the other side. So uh, yeah, uh, a lot of hours go by Wednesday. It's a fight back and forth, but it was a false fight. Again, we didn't know that. Um, I remember at one point talking to the dude, what, one of the guys there, and he was saying, let's go ahead and evacuate everybody not willing to get arrested because we didn't want to risk it because the police were closing off all exit points. And I remember a minute after we decided, like literally the next minute, when we decided to clear everybody out because it was getting dangerous, the literal next minute we found out they choked off the last exit. So now everybody was trapped. So right, now you were the idea in, yeah. of some getting arrested was tossed out the window because everybody's trapped now. And mm -hmm. um, we fought, we fought. It's like 10, 11, 12. Finally, we make a deal with Captain Lopez, who turns out to be a liar, just like last year. And he said they had dropped a notice saying we have from 10 o'clock at night till 10 o'clock the next night to get all of our stuff and leave. So we thought that that was a victory for the day. We've been fighting since 7 a.m. It's midnight now. People are tired. We got elderly in the camp. Let's just go to bed. We've won. We've won the night. We've won the night. Everybody calm down. And one of the more hardcore protesters was like, no, bro, we should go stop them building the fence. And I remember I was like, no, 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 everybody's tired. We won the night. Just come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Turns out he was right. And that's a big lesson learned. Don't ever trust LAPD. They're lying. They're always <laughs> yeah. lying because within four hours, they built a fence and we were in an open air prison. No one expected that. We thought we'd have a few more days to fight the fence off. But within four hours, I've never seen the city work so fast. Within four hours, <laughs> they had the whole fence. And then Thursday, we woke up trapped. And uh, yeah, Thursday was its own day from there. Yeah, I mean, I just it, that what you described to me, you know, if if I set aside what I saw um, is, you know, a military operation to, uh, you know, imprison people to take like prisoners of war, essentially, um, and yeah, take that's... take the land back. <laughs> you know, that's that sounds like a military operation to me. You know, they which... planned that they planned for their force to be on that side. They sent misinformation out to the group right. because we thought they were coming to arrest. But in hindsight, there was nothing to arrest on. 
So we were preparing for a straw man. They created a scenario and we were preparing for it, but it was never the case. They were never mm-hmm. coming to arrest Wednesday night. That was just to distract us from the fence being built. And, right. you know, good job on your strategy. But at the same time, like, you know, why are we even in a position of strategizing? None of us it, chose exactly. to stop. Like none of us, right. like right. you know, we were just all put into it, you know. And uh, yeah. So Thursday, we wake up in the open air prison. It's like down to about twenty of us, and then um, they lied. They said that the night before we'd be able to come and go. We weren't. So if we left, mm-hmm. we weren't able. We wouldn't be able to come back in. And we're scrambling on what to do then, how to do it. Talking with Ashley and Jed and the other organizers, we decide to do a rally. Uh, at the Lawson's, everybody meet up at the Lawson's in support of those trapped in Echo Park. And mm-hmm. mind you, during the whole day of that open air prison, the sales team, Lasha and Urban Alchemy, were out there lying through their teeth trying to get as many people out. Like, for example, they convinced Panda to leave, right? So they take him to the Ness Hotel. Ness Hotel is fully stocked. So then they drive him 40 minutes away to Norwalk, and whatever motel they got him in tells him he's only got two weeks there. Uh, so they're just like lying through their teeth the day before someone had just come back from being taken to the Salvation Army. Like most of these hotels are saying they're full. And as COVID ends, these hotels are starting to reject people because now they want their normal money. So yeah, they want it, it is yeah. an actual solution to what we had in Echo Park. So that Thursday, some people are leaving, you know, they're panicking. But, you know, basically we're in an open air prison. So people got it right. And um, around five o'clock, I think people started meeting up at Lawson's. And then instantly the police went on because they had a whole perimeter. They had the helicopters go low on everybody so they couldn't even hear each other talk. And this is just what I've heard from outside people because we were trapped inside the whole time. And uh, long story short, the community came out in support for us, right? They mm-hmm. recognized that an open air prison in America makes no sense. They recognized that the unhoused are their neighbors too. And it was really just a community of supporters peacefully trying to love each other and support. And then the police took it military. Like I remember when we were live streaming, uh, I was real worried for y'all at one point because we could see their back formation. So they had, they were all squatted up, but then they had these trucks come in and boom, like a squad of 20 came out, row of 10 and 10, you know, all military out, all moving in unison. And what you realize, like they had all of these LAPD from all over, right? From units way, way far away, come out. And nobody knew why they were there. None of the officers (laughs) knew why they were there. It's like they were they were all chickens without their head, except yeah. when it came time to do violence. When it came time oh, to yeah. do violence, they moved as one, as one unit, like as if there was no miscommunication in the first place. When it came time mm-hmm. to swoop up and be militarized, the police knew what to do. But in terms of why they were there, a lot of them didn't even know. Like Mitch mm-hmm. raised an occupational army just to get his way. It's just, it's, it, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I saw a lot of the video from what happened and, and what you said just now about, uh, and I think that is the essential nature of the police, you know, um, if that's not something that people were already aware of, like, I hope that they are now, you know, that like, that is the baseline of the police. That's it is what they exist to do is to met out violence to who they believe to be criminals, which is basically everyone who's yeah. not, you know, in a cop uniform, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, like, uh, not that I think... There's no, uh, I mean, there's there's instances that I've been reading on like Knock uh, LA uh, that you know uh, there are people who live ha- housed li- housed in housing around Echo Park who heard what was going on 
and went outside to look and were attacked by police simply yeah. for being there. So when you when you start to see that story and then you scale back and you go, oh, right, we are all criminals to the law. We are all potential criminals to the law. So to me, if we don't stand with each other, they will pick us all apart. You know, we're all we're we are all just a moment away, you know, from from violent, brutal violence from this occupation. And so then the most vulnerable people living at Echo Park Lake, which, by the way, anybody who's not uh, familiar with Los Angeles, Echo Park Lake is a is is a beautiful spot. And it's also very big. I've been there. There is plenty of space for the community that was living there. And then uh, any other, you know, the, the housed community, there is plenty of space to coexist in that space, you know. Um, so to me, the the removal is simply the displacement of people from there is simply to remove an unwanted site, you know, by like NIMBYs or the government. Yeah. And it was unwanted by just a small minority. I mean, I was a there small all minority, year. Yeah. That neighborhood loved us and we loved them in large mm-hmm. part. It was probably less than 20% that had any type of ne- negative feeling towards us. But I mean, it was the community that kept us supported. I mean, you wouldn't have found a cleaner encampment anywhere in America, let, let alone LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cleanness of that encampment I remember having a lot of community meetings with my neighbors in tents and basically we came up with these main fundamental rules, right? No stealing, no unprovoked violence, no excessive trash, and then come to the weekly meetings if you can. And the reason we came up with those rules was not to appease, you know, the house neighbors. I wanted everybody (laughs) to get out of that mind frame. We're not here to live our life. So another person looking at us agrees like, as a community, we'll agree what excessive trash looks like. I don't care what mm-hmm. people in the homes do because we're the ones living here. As a community, right. we'll agree how we want to live. And people outside don't want to live under the false narrative that the streets are dangerous or you got to be a gangster or you got to steal or you get survival mode. We want to live in peace and safety and stability mm-hmm. and security. So this is what people want outside want to live like, but the world won't let them. It's like these false narratives made by power structures to divide Mm -hmm. us. They want you to fit that. Otherwise they attack you when you don't. You know what I'm trying to say here? Like, yeah, no, I just wanted to live normally. There's no rocket science about it. It's not this new crazy idea. It's like, we just wanted to live peacefully in a community and uh, off our standards. Cause we were tired of always having to fit other people's standards, you know, like unless you're the mm-hmm. ideal homeless person picking up yourself by your bootstraps, it's like, people don't mess with you, you know, like, right. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. And I mean, everything that, uh, you know, the government is doing in terms of local LA government and then the LAPD, it goes against all of those basic principles that you just laid out at, for your meetings, you know, like not, Nothing needed to be done, you know, from an outside. Yeah, my my, I I have an outside perspective, you know, I don't claim to to have Uh an inside one. But to me, it's like it's it's fine. (laughs) You know, there's it's it's being taken care of. And yeah, like like, for example, Mitch is putting the narrative that it was dangerous in the park. It's never been. I never felt more safe. You can talk yeah. to any of the uh, of, of the females we had in the park from old to young. They never felt more safe. Like this narrative of danger is mm-hmm. dangerous because it puts 100%. people on guard. Whereas mm-hmm. in reality, existence is peaceful. And once you understand that, yes, then coexistence is really cake. There's nothing hard about it. There's nothing <laughs> crazy about yeah. it. 
It's like, bro, there's something, you know, like, I don't know, like the hardest part about this whole year and living in Echo Park was the city and its false narratives. Mm. But yeah, the people that we didn't know that came to the park, the transient nature of it, that was copacetic and peaceful. Every time someone came with nothing, it was simple. Like, hey, bro, you got a tent? No, all right, we'll find you one. You got a blanket? No. Well, welcome to the park, bro. We're not trying to be like MacArthur Skid Row. Uh, he's like, yeah, we don't want to be like that. Like, everybody just wants to live in peace. So every new person that yeah. came, we're always happy about the community we had because that's what we want, you know? Um, like, I remember my first year unhoused i was living under that false paradigm that false narrative so i was always looking over my shoulder at nothing mm. but the illusion yeah. hollywood put there because it's actually safe outside so mm -hmm. people don't want to live like that we just want to live stable and secure in our existence as we figure this thing out and uh and then you know babylon literally came and tore that down <laughs> <laughs> yeah man I mean... sent the army it was an occupational army like were you there that thursday night I was not there, but I was watching it. You were watching I, I it? Was, I was watching it. They had people roadblocked. They had the street for like two miles around, shut off. Like they came in prepared with a military strategy, you know? Oh, yeah. And that's insane because we're not living out in Afghanistan. We're smack dab mm. in LA on sunset. Uh, you know, everybody here is a taxpaying American and you legitimately had like the firepower they had was the type of firepower you roll with to take over nations. You know what I mean? I mean, they did. That's what, I mean, that I'm on, that's what you're telling me is that they rolled in to take over your nation. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> it's, it's reminding me of a, of a Malcolm X quote, which is, uh, you know, the chickens, America's chickens have come home to roost and they do that over. And I, I would argue that there's a very, a very short straight line between what we do in other countries to what we do in our own country. Yeah. Um, and, both both need to end you know peace can't it can't coexist with war in other places no um but definitely you know i mean if we're willing to do that to our neighbor you know of course we're willing to do that to anybody and to me th just the stark numbers of the occupational force that showed up it was over to, 400 400 officers yeah it's i mean it's just it's it's I don't, it's like, I don't even have words for it. You know, like, I, I don't know how to even describe see, seeing that. And I'm not surprised, you know, in any way. Like, I, I wish, I wish I, I wish it hadn't happened, but it's, it's not, it's in line with what the LAPD and other police departments across the country do. I mean, you can see, you know, what they've done in Minnesota for the, the, the murder trial and what they expect. You know, the expectation is what you're saying. It's always fear. It's always rooted in fear, based in danger, and it continues. It just perpetuates. Um, and what what I'm I'm really being struck by your story of the community there is that you really found and sought the opposite. You know that that and it is possible, and it continues to be possible. And I hope that um, you know in sharing in you being so willing and open to share your story that people uh, begin to understand that this is possible all throughout our lives in every, in every place. People have a choice on the perspective they choose to view reality on the lens. They choose mm -hmm. to view reality. Uh, you could choose to view it like a survival thing where mm -hmm. it's you against the world and you just got to be cutthroat because yeah. if you don't take care of your family, who will that's one mm -hmm. narrative, but 
And if you choose to view it that way, then that is how life will be. You know, you right. are what you choose to view the world. If you say you can, you can. If you say you can't, you can't. So mm-hmm. if you choose to view it communally with the lens of love and support, with the lens of you're hungry. So I got some pizza instead of me eating it all. You can have some, I can have some. If that's the lens you choose to view it, then that is the reality you'll see. And that's what we saw at Echo Park. Like we all made internally separate at first, but then we all just kept repeating it to each other at these meetings and kept repeating it. But we made the decision that that's what we are, that we're going to help each other out. And it was beautiful. Like People would come, like, even though I was one of the main focal points there, people still independently was like, oh, this person needs a tent. Hey, I'm in this person needs a tent. So they were independently, like, helping each other out. And that's what we were. People would genuinely come nearly, especially during COVID, like, every day, every other day, we'd get a new person, right? Mm -hmm. Just for whatever reason, now they're homeless. And they have no tent. They have no blanket. They have nothing. And they're coming off that narrative of survival mode. So right. then they come to us. We first break past that bullshit narrative. There's no survival mode. Your world ain't against you. It's all love. And then we're like, all right, you need a tent. We'll go to one of our organizers for a tent. We used to have some fundraising. So let's get a tent and then get you a tent, get you a blanket, get you set up in the community. And, you know, we had no help, no help from these bullshit organizations like Lasha and Urban Alchemy. And uh, it wasn't until the last three weeks they showed up and it was just, it's been a weird month. It's been, I really thought we had a few more months of COVID to just be a community. And we had just finished the showers and people were just starting to take showers in them. And it was super exciting to get those showers rolling. I remember we had plans (laughs) for street watch and ground game to where, where y'all go, tell your, tell the homeless you see that there's showers in Echo Park and we're just going to get it bumping. But then, you know, Mitch came and stomped that all out. Yeah. Well, I mean, congratulations on getting the showers together. That's a, a well, then you know, it got torn I, down. They were so close. I'm sorry. So I'm ready sorry. To get their showers going. You I'm sorry. I didn't get to propane. pop those showers <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. The I, too, like there was so many bright future. And then the beautiful thing about all these projects were it was housed and unhoused together thinking about yeah. how we can do these projects like neighbors. Kitchen, yeah. It was to get neighbors. Exactly. Neighbors. Yeah. Everybody would just focus on the one mile they have around them. Focus on making that one mile a community focus on loving that one mile. Then, then you'll see some change in the world, you know? And it was, it was one point was unfortunate. I don't know if I'm talking too much, but at one point, no, you're good, man. Yeah. At one point it was unfortunate (laughs) because one of the issues we ran into was once we really had echo park going as a community and then the Instagram came into play and people saw it, People were just like only coming to our park to do their charity or mutual aid and support. Right. And we love that. And that's cool. Yeah. It was like, y'all, how many miles you, did you pass yeah. to get here? Right. How many right. other encampments did you pass to get here? Like, really, what I say is if everyone just focused on the one mile around them, that's where you'll yeah. see change. Build those showers in the one mile, build that community in that one mile, and you'll see mm-hmm. that change in the rest of the world. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And Echo, at Echo Park Rise Up is the Instagram, right? Yeah, great. I yeah, want people to follow up. that, and uh, I want to be. I want to be mindful of your time. I'm on. Um, is there? Because I feel like you've shared so much beauty with us today, and I, I, I just can't express the gratitude that I have for you taking time out of your day to come on the show and share your story with us. Is there? Is there? What is? What is the? I mean, I feel like you've shared this many times, but if you could, 
sort of if if there's one thing that you want the listeners of this podcast, housed and unhoused, neighbors all alike, just anybody listening, um, what is the the thing you would most want them to understand about your experience? That it's entirely uh what's the word here? <laughs> that it's not unique. It's not mm-hmm. something only done to Echo Park. It's not something where a genius mind was involved. It's something everybody can do right now. Like the concept of a community garden is something everybody can work towards right now in your community. Just start planting, mm-hmm. just start doing. You know, if you want to see more love in the world, just start loving, right? And start with that immediate mile, right? There's nothing genius about it. Look around you and think what your fellow man needs. Like if you see, 10 on house folk, I guarantee you they need to be able to charge their stuff. So figure out yeah. a way to get them charged up every day. And that's a huge positive thing. Uh, and don't just focus on this concept of unhoused because a lot of your neighbors, they need to be woken up into love. They really need more help than your unhoused neighbor does because most <laughs> of the unhoused know how to love because we're used to just seeing each other every day. Yeah. People in these apartments, they're trapped up in their own heads. So like they really need to be liberated, you know? So like, yeah. If there's one thing to take, it's that you can start loving right now. You don't need to wait. It's not a certain location you go to to start loving. Like you can just start in your immediate mile. And the second thing that isn't so positive, but we all need to wake up to the fact that we are in a police state officially because after they kicked us all out, we decided to, to do a vigil around the lake right? Something cute. We decided to keep it moving. We decided that nobody was going to congregate. This was not going to be a protest or rally. And we were still met with a police helicopter shining its light on us. And we were still met with a police drone just for hanging out. So in a public park, not not even in the public park. I'm talking about after all this, like days after, like we did another action and we told everybody we were going to have a candlelight vigil around the park. So everybody would candle a carry a candle, walk around the park and drop it in front of the office of Mitchell Farrell and then leave. Nobody stayed, mm-hmm. nobody congregate. And they still met us with drones watching us yeah. like it's an Orwellian world. So like the two things people really have to know is that a, uh, love you could start right now and you should start right now and start with your immediate neighbors and just do things together and build things together, you know, cultivate the land you're in because that's your God given right. And B we're in a police state, so we need to unite. We need to unite. Yes. Yeah, and I, I mean, that, that's beautiful, and I think that A is what meets B and gets rid of B. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. A, if, a, if we really handle A properly, B gets yeah. tossed out the window. There's there's no use for B eventually, yeah. and I know it sounds like a platitude or whatever, but but what we're talking about, what you're talking about, Iman, is – is a very deep love. We're not talking about, oh, love is love, buy it at Target. I you we are talking yeah. about a deep, a deep uh planted in the soil of the earth love, a deep planted in in me and in you kind of love that is is uh transcends even even any language that we could have with each other right now. And it is something that is felt as opposed to bought or sold or written or anything, you know, exactly. and that that to me is what uh will what relegates the police to a a thing we do not we no longer need and it's going to take time it's not going to it doesn't happen immediately but it does start like you said right now like the love starts right now so i i just uh i i want to thank you so much for coming on this show and for sharing your story and your experience with us um 
is there are there any sort of like shout outs to anything any sort of support other than you know the love starts right now if there's if there's any where you want the listeners to be pointed to like anything like that that you want to share as we wrap up our our wonderful conversation yeah uh we're gonna try to build this again because Community is a heart and mind thing, but at the same time, community needs land. That's why in the Bible and in every book, it's about the land, mm-hmm. right? Getting that yeah. land. So we're going to go to Griffith Park and we're going to try something again. We'll keep that up on the Instagram. Y'all keep posted Great. and we could use help building the community up there again. Uh, it's just in the back of our, in the back of my mind, like we know that even if we build this community again, they will come to tear it down again. You know, they did it to Echo Park and they did it to Grant Park before us and how many other communities of love were built. So, I mean, just keep a lookout on the Instagram, I guess, and just be ready to come out and support us when they send their armies again. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be ready. Thank you, Iman. I appreciate your conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience with us. I'm very, very grateful for it. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Take care, my friend. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.